Hello, I'm Sophie Cook, UK Research Editor at the BMJ. In countries where voluntary euthanasia is allowed, helping a patient to die a dignified death presents unique professional and emotional challenges for the doctors involved, and these are often overlooked in the, in the debate on assisted dying. This week in the BMJ, Sabine Netters, a consultant oncologist in the Netherlands, describes her first experience of being the doctor helping somebody to die. Sabine joins me on the phone today to talk more about her experience, a side of the story which we hear little about. Sabine, thank you for joining me today. Hello, Sophie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Your piece is really powerful and moving and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to share this with us. Um, the, the reflections in your piece begin sort of 10 years ago and I wondered what it is that's prompted you to write the piece now. Well, uh, actually I wrote it 10 years ago when I was still a resident in medical oncology and at that time there was a debate in the Netherlands going on uh, on euthanasia and I was reading the debate in the newspapers and I was wondering that it was only about uh, legislation and laws and patients' rights, uh, etc. And not anything about what it actually feels to do a euthanasia for a doctor. At that time, there was this patient, uh, one of my own patients actually, uh, who wanted euthanasia. And I started writing it down, actually a little bit like a diary. And then after that, I thought maybe I should write an essay on it. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for listeners who haven't yet had a chance to read your article, you describe, as you say, your involvement with this particular patient who, who approached you first as the person he asked for help wanting to die. Mm -hmm. And what did that feel like when he first asked you the question? What was your initial reaction and how did you deal with that information and that enormous request from somebody that you already had a relationship with? Yes, that that's I already had a, a relationship with this patient. That's right. Uh, I mean, I was this, I don't know how you call it in England, but I visit him every day uh, during the, the ward rounds, uh, being a resident. Um, so I was pretty much the first doctor he saw um, and we had conversations about a lot of things not only his disease and it wasn't actually a surprise for me when he asked me um, I write it down in, in, the, in the essay as well I was just checking in on him uh, while on my way home literally I can't even remember I, I wore a, a physician's coat or I wore my own coat could be the last I just asked him how he was doing and then he, he came with this question or it wasn't actually a question but he was a little bit um, well not depressed but a little bit um, um, sad more more sad than he used to be and then we got this conversation and he said I, I'm thinking of of getting out or stopping or, or, or having euthanasia how do you feel about it? And when he asked you that question, what sort of things were running through your mind? Did you did you immediately know that you wanted to be involved or was it something that you had to think carefully about? Well, first of all, I was a little bit surprised, uh, though I, I I expected it, not, not at that moment, actually. Um, but then I already knew that I wanted to to help him. Um, 
And during the study, um, we also have these discussions on euthanasia, but then it's rather a theoretical concept. Um, but being in those discussions, I already found myself um, uh, not opposing euthanasia, but I was thinking I could do that. I want to do that if a patient asked me to do. Uh, but when he did, uh, the first thing I thought was, uh, am I the right person to, to do that? Because I'm still a trainee doctor. Is, is it law? Is it uh, according to the law if I'm the one who, who does it? That was actually one of the first questions I was thinking about. Um, it was Friday after Friday night, so there was this weekend. So not on, until Monday I could ask my supervisor how he was thinking about it because I instantly knew I couldn't do that without uh, my supervisor, of course. So we had to do it both uh, together. So that weekend must have been a very interesting weekend in terms of things going through your mind and, and mulling it all over. Yes, it was. Yes, yes. Yes, I was, yeah, what, what, what was a little bit surprised was um, I'm actually an, uh, very much in favor of, of euthanasia. I'm kind of a liberal, maybe. I don't know if you say that, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at that particular moment, someone asks you to do it. It gets really real. Uh, it's not a theoretical concept anymore, but then you have to think again because then the consequence is that you are the one who's going to perform it. Um, So it actually frightened me as well a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, as you say, uh, people probably have views generally um, and think about this as a a topic, but it isn't until you're faced with that question personally as a doctor that it gets real. <laughs> um, yes, that's 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 correct. Yes, so I was thinking uh, during my my um, training as a medical student um, when we had discussions, I was really very um, um, well ferocious. I don't. Uh-huh. Maybe you you can edit it. <laughs> ferocious, well, like an, an avid supporter of euthanasia. Yeah? Um, but then when this person, this patient, asked me, I was actually some at some point uh, a, a little bit doubting more i hadn't expect that uh, from myself i i didn't know why uh, i had these doubts um, so i had to to confront those and i th- think it has uh, something to do it still has something to do with um not 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 with the law or whether you do it um, right uh, in a, in a in order f- for for justice. I, I mean, it's actually you're taking away someone's life. You you cannot reverse it. It's um, that cost me a little bit of thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's the most permanent decision you could make as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. With this gentleman, um, I'm not sure you say in the article where actually the euthanasia happened. Uh, Did it happen at home or or in a clinic setting? So in this particular case, it was in a hospital setting, but I actually, uh, I don't mind going to uh, a person's home. Uh, If he or she wants to die at home, 
And if it's possible, I mean, if the patient is at home or can be transferred to home, then I'm willing to go to their houses. And I just ask the general practitioner to join me. In in your article, you describe very eloquently the, the procedure itself and, and the environment. Um, and it, it's a it's a very interesting account to read. Um, I just wondered about the, the aftermath and once everything's over and it's all happened, how you felt after that first time and, and how you dealt with those feelings. You mean after the euthanasia? Yes, yeah. 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 Um, well, I felt both relieved and empty, I guess. Um, there was this relief that everything went well. Um, so it sounds pretty awkward, but that the patient actually died without trouble. Um, that felt like a relief. For example, he was very hard to uh, inject due to the chemotherapy. So I was stressed uh, if the f- if the fluid would drip. Um, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Yes. So when it did, I, it, th- that was a relief, but I also felt empty because then it, it was over and uh, I wanted to leave the hospital quite quickly um, because I just wanted to go home and not talk about it. The nurse asked uh, some questions and she gave me a cup of coffee, but I, I noticed that I actually didn't want to drink the coffee. Uh, I just wanted to go home. So I did. And it was quite strange. I can I can remember uh, cycling home. It was pretty cold, like it is now. It was actually in February as well. Um, and I had to, like, 20 minutes. Uh, it was dark, and it was kind of depressing weather. So it felt right at the moment. Um, you you mentioned the, the drip, um, but did you worry about the patient's death itself, um, that they were regretting their decision at the last minute or that it would be uncomfortable for them? No, I, I know. I never worried whether they regret their decision at the last moment. Um, um, I was, I still am. Uh, worried about the medical procedure. So does the drip work? Does the patient actually die? Uh, did I inject it properly? Did I uh, make the, uh, the, the solutions uh, correct? Uh, am I convinced that the patient is asleep uh, before I administer the other, uh, the, the, the barbiturate? I mean, that's uh, the medical procedure. And after that... Um, I'm also constantly checking whether the patient is actually dead. <laughs> um, so even after 10 minutes, I just, there's always something in my head. What if he just wakes up again? Of course it doesn't happen, but I, um, that's something you are, you do have in your mind. And when the, the coroner comes in, I mean, you have to, you have to inform the coroner. Um, and at the moment he comes in, he also uh, checks whether the patient's actually dead. Once he does it, then at that moment I think, well, yes, he is actually he actually died. He's not going to wake again. And that's kind of relief. But it's only the the medical um, organic part of it. I never doubt. Uh, 
uh, whether the patient would uh, regret it or doesn't want it. And in your experience now, I mean, having done this five times, has have the experiences been peaceful or has there been anything about them which, you know, maybe hasn't gone to plan or, or generally have they been peaceful experiences? No, the latter. They have been peaceful experiences. I also think that's because uh, you need to prepare very well. Um, so, for example, I... Um, always have a second uh, physician with me, uh, one of my colleagues. Um, most of the times it's the general practitioner of the patient. Um, so we are together and I always have double uh, medication. Uh, so you have two of both solutions. And I always ask uh, one of my colleagues to uh, put in the needle so I don't have to do that myself because then I'm afraid I will start trembling or it doesn't work. Uh, so it, you have to to take away all things that could cause stress. You mentioned the trembling um, and it's obviously this is something which does have a an sort of acute emotional response when you're when you're sort of in that situation. Um, you know, how else do you feel at the time? Are there any other things? Do you, do you have any other physical sort of side effects when you're actually sort of at the point where you're, you're delivering the medication? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I, it's, uh, I can't recall it. Um, I always say beforehand, I always say uh, that I'm not very talkative when I have to do the procedure. <laughs> Um, so some patients, most of, actually all of them didn't want me to explain what I was actually doing, um, nor was the family interested in, in get, getting detailed information at the time I was, uh, injecting, uh, the fluids. So I didn't do, I didn't tell them, uh, in detail, uh, I actually also don't want to be part of the grieving process the family is in. I am. I want to be a little bit um, invisible. Well, of course, I'm not invisible. I'm the one who's doing it and everyone's looking uh, at me. But I don't uh, want to draw attention. I want the family to be with themselves uh, I always say beforehand, I don't stay long and I don't uh, want you to offer me a cup of coffee. I just, I'm just there because I have to stay there until the coroner is there. But I just go away. I go into the garden or I go into another room um, because I don't want to be part of the family grieving over their um, father or mother. I always say that beforehand, and, and they understand, actually. If we go back to the first time that you helped someone die, did you find that you, you know, you kept thinking about the patient, or were you able to switch off after, you know, that initial period of, of relief and shock and, and probably some grief as well, I suppose, seeing as you'd known the patient and had a relationship yes. with him? Well, actually, after after that, I was, there was 
some grief, but not very much because I knew that it was the only thing he wanted. So I think we actually did right. Um, but before the euthanasia, I think I thought a lot of the patients, uh, a lot more than after. And I actually still do. So I, I did uh, some more. Um, and I always think about the patient and the family before the euthanasia a lot more than after. And you mentioned that you have been involved in euthanasias subsequent to, to this one that you describe in your article. You say it doesn't get easier, but has the experience been very similar or very different? And if it has been different, how so? Well, it's it doesn't get any easier on the emotional aspect, but it does on all the formalities. I mean, uh, you have to prepare ask the pharmacologist, uh, fill in some forms, um, call the right persons, ask permission from s- certain colleagues, inform your colleagues. I mean, that gets easier because it's you're more familiar with it. Um, but the emotional aspect doesn't, actually. It's still um, very emotional to do. And your question whether it's different... Um, well, I thought it over again, and all the patients were pretty much uh, alike. I mean, they all had cancer, obviously, because that's what I do. And they all had um, uh, suffering, most of them pain. Um, and they all were like patients, uh, very well informed, um, pretty high education level um, and they all were aware of the fact that when they asked me to do euthanasia that was a very big question to ask from a person um, so they were quite similar and um I was just thinking, I mean, all of these in all of these um, instances that you've been involved in Sabine it, it sounds like you have been very much in agreement with the patient's decision that it's the right decision for them does that is that right have I sort of understood that correctly yes you did you did understand correctly because if if I'm not if I don't agree I wouldn't I wouldn't do uh, the euthanasia myself I mean I I was asked um, by more patients than just five but but I didn't always um, fulfill their uh, request because um, um, I just couldn't agree with them. Um, I think as I recall uh, a few patients who were just a little bit in despair and were not aware of the other treatment options like, for example, proper uh, palliative care, and they just told me uh, within a week after hearing the diagnosis, well, well then uh, uh, then put an end to it. And then you have to discuss it and talk it through that there are other options and you can try to, to treat the pain or, or otherwise discomfort. Um, and it often works. So then the question for euthanasia just fades away. 
I suppose some people feel that you know euthanasia goes against medical training, and uh, and and of course it is a it is a final decision. How do you feel about that argument? I mean, you said that you'd always been a very passionate supporter of euthanasia, but um, how do you how do you sort of come to terms with the fact that you are ending somebody's life and that although you're doing it for their benefit it is something which you can't change well I think what you say it's because you do it for their benefit Um, I think that's the most important thing you can do being a doctor um, trying to help a patient and being a medical oncologist very often you cannot help a patient uh, by curing him because that's not an option uh, sometimes. Uh, so then you have to help a patient in another way. So, f- so help feeling him better by proper palliative care. Uh, and maybe sometimes if that doesn't work, um, you have to face the ultimate step, which in my opinion uh, is ending someone's life in order to end his or her suffering. I mean, sometimes there's just no other option. Um, Despite palliative care or despite other treatments, um, suffering may be huge and untreatable, um, which means, in my opinion, you cannot just turn away and tell the patient, well, you have to deal with it on your own. I can't help you anymore. I mean, if that's the case, and yeah, well, then euthanasia might be a solution. I, I'm not saying it is the ultimate or only solution, but it could be one if the patient wants it and if there are no other options. Um, so I think it might actually be the ultimate uh, treatment. And in your in your um, article, you talk about um, how, you know, obviously you respect conscientious objectors, but you want them to think about why they're objecting. I wondered if you could talk a bit more about that. I found that quite interesting in your article. Yeah, it was actually because of my, my study period. Um, I think that if you don't want to do euthanasia, I mean, that, that's your good right being a physician and you don't have to do it. Uh, not even in the Netherlands. Um, but I think it's important to know why you don't want to do it. Um, is it because there are some principles in your life that tell you not to, to do that? Or is it because you are unfamiliar with it? Uh, and it might cause actually a little bit uh, to frighten you. I mean, if it's that you might have to consider why. Do you understand? Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I think in, in terms of this article, it's it's very enlightening um, because, you know, as we say, we don't hear this side of of the, the assisted dying debate at all. Um, and so I thank you very much for, for choosing to share this with us. But I also wanted to just know, you know, what you were hoping to achieve by sharing your story and, and what you hope that other doctors reading it might take away. Well, I, what I hope to achieve uh, by writing this article is that uh, that it's not only about legislation and about patients' right and autonomy. I mean, these are very important subjects, I think, 
but it's also about um, your own position being a doctor and a person. Um, and I think being a doctor, uh, you have to know uh, what you think about it. You cannot just hide behind your professional organization or um, some principles you were you grew up with. Again, I'm not saying uh, that every doctor has to do euthanasia or be uh, um, uh, in favor of physician-assisted suicide. I mean, you have to make your own choice. And that's actually the point I want to make. You have to make your own choice. Um, and you have to, to do that by reflecting on, on yourself um, and not reflecting on 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 someone else's opinion or the law or, or the legislation or whatever. And I also want to share with, with people and perhaps doctors that it's kind of normal uh, to think of euthanasia as a very difficult thing to do. Uh, it's not normal medicine. It's uh, very challenging and uh, um, very confronting. And if you're not, if you don't know that, and if you think, well, I, it's something I have to do, that that's just not that's not the case. I mean, it it asks a lot. We should be aware of it. I mean, the the public should be aware of it as well. I once had this discussion with someone who who doesn't. It's not in favor of euthanasia. And she said to me, um, well, do you think it's right that a patient um, can can ask you that because it causes so much uh, emotional burden on you? I think that's an interesting question. I think everyone has to decide for him or herself. Um, Sabina, thank you so much for for writing the article and for um, for for agreeing to talk to us and and explore the experience a bit more. Um, I think it's been really fascinating for me, and I hope our listeners will also find it very interesting. You've been listening to Sabine Netters talk about her article, How It Feels to Help a Terminally Ill Patient to Die a Dignified Death. If you're interested in assisted dying, we also have a chat with Bobby Fosidas, a medical ethicist who thinks that it's time for doctors to join the debate that's available now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. That's all for this episode. I'm Sophie Cook, GP and the BMJ's UK Research Editor. Thanks for listening. 